Yeah, I mentioned on here before, I had a childhood friend who I found out in the last couple of years became a woman. Started calling themselves a woman, dressing like a woman. Haven't had any contact with this person in a number of years, probably four or five, probably about, probably about five years maybe. We might have had some sort of social media or contact. The social media or contacted us. But I'm most curious, you know, what, what's this person up to? And I came across an article they wrote in the last few months about hiking, because this, this person, I think their, their job involves the outdoors and hiking now. And it's an article about how this person doesn't hike anymore, or they, they hike, but it's like they haven't gone for a walk outside of the city limits in a couple years. And it's all about whether or not you can still consider yourself a hiker at that point. And I, I read through it, but the last paragraph is what stood out to me. It ends with, I call myself many things. I'm a queer woman, a nerd, a mom, a friend, a reader, and someone who only burns instead of tans. But I also call myself a hiker, because no matter how often I get out or where I go, that label belongs to everyone who wants to claim it. You know, what's funny about this is it, it shows a general preoccupation with, as they said, a label. A preoccupation with identity. And what's funny about that is that, you know, I do a lot of walking myself and I haven't gone on any nat real nature hikes in a while. I would say three or four times a week in the in the afternoon or evening, I would get out and go for walks in the woods. Sometimes I would drive outside of town. I used to kind of have a rotation of different trails and hikes that I would go on. Personally, I never once thought of whether or not I was a hiker. And in the last couple of years, I have really haven't gone to the woods very much. I don't get out into nature as much as I used to. I still do a lot of walking. But I don't drive out and go to the, the hikes that I used to go on. I've never once considered whether or not that makes me a hiker or not. Because even when I was going to the trails multiple times a week, I still didn't think of myself as a hiker. I didn't think of that as an identity that I had. It was just something I did. Oh, I want to go out to the trail today. I could tell you every single park in Thurston County. I've been there. I never once thought about what that says about me. It was just something that I like to do. I like to go out and I like to walk in nature. And it was funny reading this article by somebody that I grew up with. This person was a good friend of mine up to a certain point. We never stopped being friends, but it was just we got to high school. We didn't hang out outside of school. If we had class together, we would sit next to each other and laugh. I always had a great time with this person. But, uh, you know, we haven't talked in many, many years, five years maybe, but we haven't been close friends and, you know, since we were basically kids. But it's interesting reading this article and being in a similar position where I haven't gone out into true nature and walked much in the last couple of years. I do it now and again, but I avoid it. And I have Batty too, so it's like I, I take Batty places that are better for him and things like that. And I just, I really haven't wanted to leave my little radius. 
you know, my habitat has gotten very limited for whatever reason. So I'm in a very similar position, but I never once thought about what that makes me. I never once thought about whether or not I can still call myself a hiker because I never called myself that even when I was doing a ton of hiking. But you can see that that's important to this person. And they want to be able to call themselves a hiker. I mean, that last sentence says it all. But I also call myself a hiker because no matter how often I get out or where I go, that label belongs to everyone who wants to claim it. You can see the obvious subtext here because this person is trans. Because this person is trans and that involves a label that's available to anyone who wants to claim it. All you have to do is call yourself a woman and you can claim that now. They're applying the same logic to hiking. And truth be told, I don't truly care what anybody wants to call themselves. You know, this person that I grew up with, I don't think we'll ever see each other again. And without any malice, I'm okay with that because I don't think we'd have anything to talk about, truly. I don't think we live in the same reality. And I brought this person up before because it it totally blindsided me when I found it out. I've known plenty of trans people around Olympia. I've known plenty of trans people around Olympia and places. But this was the first person that I grew up with, the only person that I grew up with, who showed no signs of this, was never feminine, wasn't the most macho guy, but was an athlete, was into what boys were into, never seemed to be repressed. And his household was the only one I knew growing up where both parents were proud Democrats. They were the house that you would go to, and if he offered you snacks, it would be like health food. You'd go over to his house because he was your friend and you had fun playing, but you would dread the sort of things that you would otherwise look forward to at other people's houses. Like if I went over to other friends' houses, it didn't matter who they were, the parent would just be like, oh, we're ordering, we're ordering a pizza. Oh, you want to play video games all night? Sure. That's how almost all of my friends' households were. And all of our parents were really good. All of our parents really instilled good values in us. But it was understood that if the boys are over, you know, if our son has his friends over, we're just going to order a pizza, get some Doritas. We're going to have a bag of Doritas on the counter. We're going to order a pizza. We're going to go to Blockbuster and rent movies or a video game. And they can just do whatever they want. Because we were also the type who, we were going to spend a lot of time outside too. We were going to go on adventures. We were going to play in the yard. We had an assortment of things. It was a a real triathlon of activity. But this guy, like his house was the one where you would have fun with him and stuff, but you were always a little worried, like what's his mom going to offer? His mom would want you to all sit at the dinner table and she would cook something you hated. This is the same family I've mentioned before who had a rule that you could only you could only play video video games for an hour. He was limited to an hour a day when he, when he could play video games cuz like I guess they had that mindset that it's bad for you or it rots your brain. Not true at any of my other friends' houses. And most of them turned out fine. If they went through any kind of rough patch it wasn't because their parents ordered pizza 
or allowed you to play video games all night. But this guy's household was that way, and that's just how it was. You just sort of understood. His mom would also make his friends do chores. She would. She took my friend, another friend of ours. Like she invited him on a, a family trip that they were taking to a property they were building uh, in another part of the state. And my friend got there, and they expected him to do work. This was a summer trip. He's like, "Oh, I'm going to go, you know, stay in a." in a cabin with my friend and his family, and we're just going to have fun in this resort town. He got there, and he quickly realized they brought him out there because the parents expected him, my friend, to work. And so he called his mom, and she drove all the way out there. It took hours to drive out there. She drove all the way out there and picked him up. So that's the sort of family they were. They weren't bad people, but that's just kind of how they were. Health food, the only family I knew to be, you know, outspoken Democrats. There were plenty of others, but they were the only family I knew where like I knew their politics. They weren't hippies or anything, but they, that was just kind of how they were. So this kid, he grew up in a household that was unnecessarily strict in my opinion, but not socially repressive. You know, it wasn't like he grew up in a conservative environment where if he had these impulses, they would have been pushed down. And I knew him very well, and I never saw any signs that he was uncomfortable with who he was. And, you know, I'm not in a position, obviously something was off if this would happen. But one thing I've said before about him is, and this, this goes back many years, this goes back to when we were kids, is he was always the last one to hop on a trend. If all the boys were getting a certain haircut, he was the last one to get it. And that's how he was with everything, with music, with anything. He was he was, was very prone to social influence, but only once it was already established. Like something had to be pop, very popular already for him to adopt it. He's the same one that I've told the story about on here, one of my favorite stories. The one who turned 18. He was one of the first people in our senior class to turn 18. And he asked me one day, he's like, will you draw me a tattoo of a Grim Reaper pointing? Which is not like him. This kid was a soccer player. He was very outgoing and fun and not dark at all. But he wanted me just, maybe it seemed baddest. Maybe he thought he'd be a baddest if he got a tattoo of a Grim Reaper pointing. But before I could even start on it, because I was like, I'll do that for you. But I had to kind of roll it around in my brain. I'm like... If I'm going to draw a tattoo for somebody, one, something that's going to be on their body forever, and two, it's, it's going to be a Grim Reaper pointing, I've got to roll this around in my brain for a few days. But the weekend went by, you know, a few days went by, maybe no more than a week, and he came to school, and he, he's like, I, got, I got, ended up getting a tattoo, and he pulled his sleeve up, and he got the Sublime Sun, the cover of 40 Ounces of Freedom. It's just that sun. He got that on his arm. And he hadn't even been a, it's not like he was some hardcore Sublime fan for years, but by the time we were seniors in high school, all the kids in school had discovered Sublime. It was new to them. That's what they listened to at parties. Like, I remember going to a high school party and kids were just blasting Sublime. So Sublime had become the most popular band of my class. 
And it's not like he had been a hardcore fan. It was it, it was something he was obviously doing for some sort of social response, some sort of popularity. I mean, maybe he truly loved Sublime, I don't know, but it really came out of nowhere. So, I mean, that, that tells me about this guy, you know. And even up until a few years ago, kind of being social media friends, he's not on there anymore, I don't think, but even being social media friends... I noticed that he got that haircut, for example. This is very petty shit, I know. But I noticed that he got that same haircut every guy was getting in the mid-2000s where they, they buzz the sides and grow the top out to look like a rooster. It's either slick back or up in this like fake pompadour. He got that haircut like as that haircut was on the way out. And what's funny about that is I remember seeing it. I remember getting on social media and he obviously took a new profile photo to show off his haircut, which do it, you know. I got no problem with vanity. I got I got no problem with people peacocking a little bit. No problem. I, I'm not judgmental of that. But my instinctive response was like, oh, that haircut's on its way out. Because knowing this kid my whole life, I was like, oh, as soon as he starts doing something, that usually means its popularity is dwindling. And I think there's something in him, too, that does something once it's already safe. Once it's already ex socially acceptable to do, he has a tendency to, he, he always had a tendency to do that. And that's not a knock on him because he was a fun guy. He, he was a smart guy. But socially, that's how he was. And he was very prone to influence. He was very prone to peer pressure. So, you know, if you, if you want to apply a subtext to that, my own little subtext what I call my own little subtext about his recent decisions, you can. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that outright. But knowing this person from the time he was five years old, I can't help but think of that. But I want to get back to what I read, you know, and and I'm not attacking him. You know, I'm not this isn't an attack. It's just to me it's interesting that this article he wrote is about whether or not you can still label yourself a hiker if you're not going on true hikes and how the summary, the, the end of it is I call myself a hiker because that label belongs to everyone who wants to claim it. And the, before making that point, you know, he made these, uh, other labeling identifying remarks about himself. I call myself many things. I'm a queer woman, a nerd, a mom, a friend, a reader, and someone who only burns instead of tans. You know, a little, little cute joke there. A queer woman, though. This is a person, if you had told me 20 years ago, I would be a 36-year-old a man, almost 37, and this kid would be calling himself a queer woman. And, and I want to get into what that means, a queer woman. Because obviously he identifies as a woman now. And the queer part, though, I had to think about that for a second. I'm like, oh, a queer woman. Because this person is attracted to women. I don't know if this person has had gay experiences. But he's married to a woman and has a child with a woman. And that was before this change. Got married before this. Before becoming a woman. So by saying I'm a queer woman, what that means is I'm a lesbian. Because he now identifies as a woman who's attracted to women, he's identifying as a lesbian, which is interesting because that was always a punchline. 
You know, I never actually saw somebody refer to themselves that way. That used to be a punchline. Because people have known about men who dress like women and act like women, but are still only attracted to women. Like, people have known about that phenomenon forever. It's very common. It's very common for cross-dressers or trans people to remain sexually attracted to women while calling themselves a woman. But it was always a joke where it's like, well, does that make you a lesbian? And apparently so, because, you know, I'm a queer woman. But that one wasn't even the one that made me think. The, the next one was the one that made me think a little more, because he refers to himself as a nerd. And growing up, this guy wasn't very nerdy. He really wasn't particularly nerdy. He played sports. He wasn't a jock by any means. He wasn't the most macho guy. He was just a boy. He was just a, a, truly a typical boy in so many, in every possible way. And I would never have thought of him as a nerd. You know, his interests weren't particularly nerdy because I've talked about this this before where, you know, our pop culture today, the mainstream is made up of things that historically were considered nerdy. It used to be nerdy to be an adult into comic books and comic book characters. Now those are the biggest movies around. I can't go to the grocery store without seeing dads in Iron Man shirts. I can't go anywhere without seeing grown men with Star Wars stickers on their cars. Those things were considered nerdy up to a certain point. Dungeons and Dragons isn't... Nobody's ostracized today for liking Dungeons and Dragons. Nobody's ostracized for being into things that used to be considered uncool some years ago. What being a nerd meant, like, if, if, to me, what being a nerd meant, and it was used pejoratively. You were called a nerd derisively. And all it meant was that you have an obsessive interest in something that isn't considered cool or popular. Because you think about the 1950s nerd. When this idea of, like, the nerd in school became big. It wasn't necessarily about comic books or sci-fi or all of these, these stereotypes that we have of nerds today. It might have just been they were really into school or math. And what made them a nerd was that that's not cool. It's not cool to be into school. So if you really care about school, if your identity is based on school, it makes you a nerd. Then that kind of expanded to these other interests that I'm talking about. Computers, video games, comic books, science fiction. It, it extended to, that sounded like Louis Armstrong. Actually, I was about to sing some Louis Armstrong here. Comic book, I can't even do it. Uh, but it extended to that. And then at some point in the last, you know, you could see it coming in the 2000s. But it was once, and you know, being on the internet used to be considered nerdy. It used to be considered the epitome of being a nerd at one point. If you got online every day, you were considered a nerd. Even if you were just checking your email. There was a point in time where if you had an email address, 
somebody might call you a nerd. Because that wasn't cool. But then at some point, average, normal, mainstream people started living online. They're online all the time. They're walking down the street and they're online on their phone. And we see all of these other interests that used to be considered nerdy, playing video games. It is completely normal to go over to an adult's house and to see at least one gaming console just sitting there. And there's a good chance that that adult person plays it every day. And they might be a dad. They might be a mom. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that that's something that you would not have seen a parent into. It wouldn't have been something that most parents did every day. But now it's, it's totally normal. These things that were considered nerdy are totally mainstream, totally normal. But that makes them no longer nerdy. And so it's weird to me that people have taken on nerd as a, you know, they've taken on what was once an insult as a point of pride. But they're pretending that that still has the same meaning it does. They're pretending that when you call yourself a, a nerd today out of some form of pride, that it brings with it the connotation that it used to, when it doesn't. That's just made up. And a lot of the whole nerd idea, I mean, I've talked about this before, as I have everything, but, you know, there was an entire propaganda machine that created this, this dynamic between nerds and jocks, where the era I grew up in, you know, when I came of age, started watching movies in the late 80s, early 90s. Whether you were watching TV shows or movies, you were constantly exposed to the trope that nerds are these humble, good people being terrorized by these mean, popular, attractive jocks and preps. I know that that really did happen in some places. But in my experience and from the experiences of friends I've had, because this is something that friends and I have talked about for years, I saw almost none of that. I never saw very many jocks. Most jocks bullied within their own friend group. Most of the bullying I saw took place within a social circle. It wasn't different social circles clashing or one social circle humiliating another one. It was often somebody within someone's own social circle was the whipping boy. The same was true for my group of friends. We kind of had a rotating whipping boy. It seemed like every week a different person was the one getting shit from somebody else, which is probably the because somebody had to get shit. At that age, you're going to lash out at somebody. So it's probably for the best that we kind of had a rotating whipping boy. A rotating whipping boy. I, I saw very little of nerds being humiliated and mocked by jocks. However, my generation was exposed to that nonstop. Any teen movie, any TV show about teenagers in school, whether it was a cartoon, whether it was live action, that was just hammered into our heads and people started believing it. There's a lot of people who have retconned their own, their own past as if they were nerds back then being bullied by the jocks or the popular kids or the preps, whatever you want to call it. I personally didn't observe any of that happening. And I was friends with nerds. You know, I, I was somebody, I, I had friends 
of different kinds when I was growing up and in school. And I was friends with guys who I could nerd out with over role-playing games, our Japanese RPGs. I mean, I had a friend who started a forum just made up of people from my school. And it was just people who played video games. The only video games I cared about were role-playing games, so I would talk to them about those. But there was a forum just with local kids. It was kind of interesting. There were some kids that went to my school who I didn't even know, but they were friends with my nerdy friends. They were in their own bubble. But you know, this guy who, who's now writing this article as a queer woman calling himself a nerd, I never would have thought of him as a nerd. This is another new development. He's now a nerd in a period where being a nerd is totally mainstream and normal and popular. Everybody watches fantasy TV shows, fantasy movies. Game of Thrones is one of the most popular TV shows of all time. None of these things are uncool. None of these things are, are fantasy as nerds once. You know, none of these things are the, are the fantasy that nerds were once into. Where it meant obsessively reading these authors with these embarrassing paintings on the cover. But it's become an identifier. Like a friend of mine moved to Portland a few months ago from here. And her roommate was a guy who was in his 40s. And right away he told her, I'm a nerd. Very similar. And, and you can guess what his politics are. But right away he said, you know, I'm a nerd. He's got a beard, glasses. He's got the look. I mean, a buddy of mine uh, was just talking to me about that today, actually. We were talking about facial hair. And he, he was like, he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, I had a beard about 10 years ago, but I got rid of it because the sort of guy now who has a beard. And I was like, I know, we didn't even go on about it. I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> and that's an interesting thing, just as a tangent, is that... When I was a kid, sometimes my dad would have a beard, and I thought it was really cool. When a character in a movie or a show would have a beard, I'd be like, that guy's cool. It was very macho and, and masculine and, and all that. Beards got popular in the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. You started to see stylish guys here and there grow beards. I mean, we all grow beards if you don't shave. But nobody had beards for a while. Like young men certainly did not have beards for my entire life up until the 2010s, probably the mid 2010s too. It kind of went alongside that haircut that this guy got, the queer woman nerd. You know, he got that haircut a few years back right as it was waning. I don't know that he had a beard. I don't think he had a beard, but still guys with that haircut often had, had a beard. Black frame glasses, you know, it, it's a certain look. But my friend's roommate down there is very much that. And she was telling me how he posted something on Facebook that was like, something to the effect of like, here's some words that each have a, here's a word with silent K's in them. And it listed obvious words like no, K-N-O-W. But then it said Republicans. And then in parentheses, it actually has three K's. So it's saying, oh, you get it? 
Republican has three silent K's because they're the KKK. They're the KKK. They're the KKK. They're the KKK. But she said he posts shit like that on his Facebook. And she's a liberal girl. My friend's a liberal girl. You know, she's from Olympia and all of her politics are very liberal overall, but the that it's left her behind. And she was saying she because he all he talks about is politics. I don't think she she moved out. But when she was living with him, like all he talks about is politics and being a nerd. Surprising. Because uh, it is this identifier. And she was just talking about, you know, her views. And he was like, oh, you're a moderate. Oh, see, so you're a moderate. She's not a moderate. As far as her values go, like, you know, she would have been considered on the far left 10 years ago, five years ago. But this is some guy in his 40s who is like, oh, you're a moderate. Republican has three silent Ks because they're the KKK. They're the KKK. So that's what I think of when I think of someone who, who identifies as a nerd, the sort of person who proudly proclaims themselves a nerd. As far as nerdy interests go, I have a million of them. You know, I recently started a mafia podcast where we just sit there talking about like some mafia members grandmother was from this village and that means that she's connected to this guy from, you know, it's very nerdy stuff in the true sense where it's like it's this obsessive interest in something that nobody cares about. But that describes everybody. You know, we have access to so much information today, too. Everybody's a nerd. Everybody's just scouring. We're, we're all these little, uh, we're, we're these devourers of information. But I would never think of myself as a nerd, just like I would never think of myself as a hiker. But that, that stood out to me that this guy that I grew up with is like, I'm a queer woman, I'm a nerd, and, I can, and anybody who wants to call themselves a hiker can claim to. And I'm just like, what, what difference does it make? And you can see this preoccupation with labels and categories. The entire point of this article is, can you label yourself a hiker if you're not going on real nature hikes? Just go on the walks you want to go on. Go on the walks you want to go on. Who gives a fuck? I walk for God knows how many hours every week. I never have to stop and say to myself, am I a walker? I guess I'm a walker. Think about the last name Walker. Does that come from walking? Your family's last name Walker, because you guys, your your great 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 granddaddy did a lot of walking. I guess I just don't think in those terms. You know, and there reaches a point where it becomes more convenient. The way I see labels and categories is if it's if it makes your life or everybody's lives more convenient to have a label. I mean, that's how I feel about the word artist. Where you know, I grew up, where I, I just I loathed self-professed artists. I didn't. I mean, I loathed them probably too. But like, I mean, I loathed the idea that people did that, and that was often mocked. It was heavily mocked the idea that 
calling yourself an artist, especially when you're unqualified, but just calling yourself an artist at all. It's not something you really proclaim about yourself. So I didn't do it. But I reached a point in my life where I realized, okay, if I'm, if I'm meeting somebody, it's easier to call myself an artist than it is to explain how I do this thing that involves making art. I mean, it reaches a point where it's more pretentious to avoid using the word artist than it is just to tell someone you're an artist. I realized that at one point. I was like, it's way more pretentious to come up with some sort of elaborate explanation of what you do. When what you do is, is you make art. You make art. It's much more pretentious to do that than it is just to say, oh, I'm an artist. But uh, that's, that's just convenience. It's not so much a label or an identity as much as it is just convenient. It saves you some trouble. It saves everybody some trouble if it comes up naturally. But there's this focus on, you know, not just these, not just these uh, social or political identities, but th this whole arrangement of them, like having all of these different ideas you belong to, when the whole idea is just to do that thing. I mean, you saw this years ago with like the idea of being a gamer. I had good friends who did nothing but play video games in junior high and high school. At that point in time, I never remember them calling themselves a gamer. I knew kids who all they did, I mean, I knew a kid who, uh, he and I would, uh, we would co-write articles for the school newspaper. He was obsessed with this game called Marathon, which I'd never even heard of. It was apparently some sort of first-person shooter. But he would design levels for it. He was on these forums for it. He, he had made all these friends through this game called Marathon. He would print out images from this game, related to this game, and he'd, he would put them in his notebook. I never once heard him go, well, I'm a gamer. It was just understood that this guy plays a lot of video games. He's really into games. But it wasn't really an identity. It was just something he was into and something he did because it didn't need to be an identity. But we veered into that territory in the last few years, this over-identification, this, this self-categorization. Because, you know, I'm not against categorizing people. I'm not against self-categorizing but there's this preoccupation with it. And what's interesting about this kid that I'm talking about who wrote this article is he was never that way growing up. You know, he didn't label himself anything. He just did things. You know, he just did things. And now he's got this, this whole list of category, categories that he assigns to himself. I'm a queer woman, a nerd, a mom, a friend, a reader. I like reading. And this isn't just me being like, I'm better than him. I don't do these things. I'm just kind of comparing my own, the way I think about life and what makes sense to me. This isn't me trying to attack this person. It's just, it makes me think about all of these things going on around us. And what people are focused on. But a reader is another example. 
I've never been somebody who, you know, despite reading a lot of books, I've never thought, like, I'm a reader. Did you know I'm a reader? I read. I read. It never felt like something to wear on your sleeve. It's just something you do. All of these things are just things you do. They're hobbies. They're interests. I've never thought to call myself a hiker, a reader. And what's funny about that, you know, the point of the article was, the way it ended was like, anybody can claim to be a hiker no matter what kind of walks they go on. Everybody has the right to claim, as he said, a label as a hiker, the label of hiker. The label of hiker. Can you do that with reading? If all you do is read children's picture books, can you really tell people you're a reader? According to this logic, you can. I'm, I'm not going to stop you. But is it really, does it really matter at that point? And, what, and going to the point of the article, like, what is the point of calling yourself a hiker if you're not doing any hiking? Makes no difference to me if you call yourself that, despite everything I'm saying here. It really makes no difference if you call yourself that. But it, it becomes philosophical where I'm like, if you're not actually doing any hiking, what's the context for you needing to call yourself that except to be able to claim it for, for some, you know, self, some narcissistic reason? I mean, that sounds very narcissistic. It's like if all you do is read children's books where each page is like one sentence and an illustration, why do you even need to call yourself a reader? If all you do is go on walks occasionally in city parks, why do you, why do you even need to think about whether or not you're a hiker? And if you're, getting something about, if you're getting something out of that experience and you don't need more, I don't see where this terminology even comes into play. It seems so off track. And it's a microcosm of so many other things going on in people's brains with their mentalities. It says a lot about this person that he basically wrote an article justifying why you can label yourself a certain way, even if you're not doing the thing that that label typically refers to. Well, you can call yourself a woman. If you want to call yourself a woman, you're allowed to do that. That's something this person has chosen to do late in life. Why not do it with anything? If you can all of a sudden start calling yourself a queer woman, why not call yourself a hiker? Why not call yourself a reader and a nerd? Why not get into this game of labeling yourself with anything and everything. Might as well. Because that's a hobby unto itself. What this tells you is this is a hobby to this person. Classifying yourself. Attaching yourself to these identities. When these identities are really at their most meaningless right now. Calling yourself a nerd is utterly meaningless. Someone who's a self-professed nerd, all that tells me today is I might not like you. Doesn't I mean? There's 
probably a hundred people I like who would just call themselves a nerd. That's fine. But, but there's also a decent chance that person would rub me the wrong way too. Just based on the meaninglessness of that and attaching yourself to it too when it, it's, you know, it, it, it means nothing. Oh, I'm a nerd because I watched every episode of Game of Thrones. I'm a nerd because I read Wikipedia articles about science. I'm annoyed because I I watched all the Marvel movies. Oh, because I play video games. I'm a nerd because I love Star Wars. You know, whatever it is. What actually would make you a nerd today? What even is a nerdy interest? But the things that people attach... The, the things that define being a nerd are just normal. They're mainstream. So what's even the point? When someone says a nerd today, what they mean is they're probably liberal and they are into what everybody else is into. Totally meaningless. If you want to embrace that, you can, but it doesn't tell you anything. It's like if somebody calls themselves a gamer today, it's like, oh, you do what every human being, what every person under a certain age does. But what's funny about that article is, you know, yeah, reading my childhood friend's article where they call themselves a queer woman, this person who was just a normal boy up until a couple years ago, a few years ago, it is kind of bizarre to read that, that this person of all people, because I knew kids growing up who were effeminate, who were gay, were gay. Now, there were a number of kids where you just knew they were gay. You knew something was off. There were kids that I grew up with where it wouldn't shock me if they started calling themselves a woman in 2019. It wouldn't have shocked me. I wouldn't necessarily have predicted it, but I'd be like, okay, you know, there was something there. This is a person, though, where it just came totally out of the blue. And at a time when that has reached... I don't know if it, I don't know if we can call it the peak popularity, but it has become way more common than it ever was. It, it has received a level of acceptance. Sure, there are people who push back. I'd be seen that way, pushing back on it. But it's reached a level of acceptance that we've never seen. It's reached a level of encouragement. It is overrepresented in media. It's overrepresented everywhere. You can have your life, your reputation ruined for just speaking the way I'm talking about it right now. So it's interesting to me that this person, who was always the last person to hop on trends, is now doing this. I don't know what it means. I don't, I don't know what's going on inside of this person. But the timing is interesting, that this wasn't 10 years ago. You know, he's my age. This wasn't when he was 24 and recently, you know, on his own as, a, as an adult person, able to make decisions. But uh, this is something that happened in the last few years when the social contagion of this has ramped up. It, you know, uh, the, I mean, it's just, it's, I don't want to get into all the statistics, but, you know, it's escalated rapidly.
But I wonder what people get from these identifiers. You know, part of the idea is that it is empowering. Like calling yourself a nerd is considered empowering today. I mean, I work with a girl who was a true nerd. We got along well. I was I hired her. I was responsible for hiring her and uh, I rested on my laurels on that one because she was a great coworker. She was a great employee. I was her supervisor for a little bit and then we just became uh, peers. She ended up getting assigned to somebody else. But we worked together for a while, for years. Super nerdy. She was a brony. She was a brony. She was a, a female brony. So she was really into My Little Pony like a lot of nerds are, a lot of self-professed nerds are. She was into all of it. The entire checklist. Live-action role-playing, video games, fantasy novels. There wasn't a box that she didn't check. And she was very awkward. She played dun her, her boyfriend was the dungeon master of their Dungeons & Dragons group. But she was, a, she was a true nerd. You could tell this girl's always been this way. And, uh, you know, like one thing that she used to do was she was part of this group that would meet up and do sword fighting with wooden. She would call them swords, but they were just wooden sticks. But they were specially made for this particular form of. I don't know if this was part of live action role playing because it was almost like this It was almost like this uh, defense training too, where they would train to fight with swords the way that a swordsman would. They would go to parks and clang these sticks. I, I've seen. I, I never went to one of the ones that she was doing, but she told me about it. And I've seen, I've seen groups like that meeting. Actually, a month or two ago, I was walking through a park and there was a group of these people hitting, so hitting these wooden swords against each other. So far, that hasn't become uh, mainstream. I think if you're doing that, you can call yourself a nerd. If you're doing pseudo-medieval sword fighting with these wooden swords that you have to special order, I think you can call yourself a nerd. But this girl, like, you know, I really liked her. I, you know, I think she was a great person, great coworker, and interesting. You know, you could talk to her about her nerdy interests, and she was, you know, she was obsessed with them. But she, she made a statement once at work where she was like, I'm so glad that you guys at work accept me because I'm a nerd. And it, I, I kind of laughed inside because I was like, it's funny because everybody here is into nerdy stuff in their own way. Like most of the people in the office play video games. But uh, I don't know. She, she still kind of saw herself as other. She saw herself as a nerd. And like I said, I think if anybody deserves to call themselves a nerd, it's her. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's interesting to me that people even think that would be an issue. Like what, what was interesting to me about that is even in 2000. 16 or whenever this was I was surprised that she would even think that would be a problem you know we were working for a tech company and so I was surprised that she would think that anybody at a tech company would demonize her for being a nerd or that she expected it expected to be mocked or demonized at a tech company for that but you see how loosely it's used today and you know it, it's funny because out of anything in this article despite everything I've said, you know, it's the nerd thing that jumped out to me the most. Interestingly, because this was a person who I would never have considered a nerd 
as it's typically understood. Just like I never would have regarded this person as a queer woman, I never would have regarded him as a nerd. I knew this person very well. I knew all of their interests. I knew how they talked, how they thought. And he never would have qualified for a nerd by the standards then and I don't think now. Can you become nerdier in time is a question. Here's the real philosophical question. Can you become nerdier in time? If you're not a nerd at a certain age growing up, can you become one later? Are nerds born or are they made? Is it like being a hiker, as the article says, that the label belongs to everyone who wants to claim it? Can a jock claim to be a nerd today? Well, one thing I know about jocks, and this is what I always liked about jocks. This is what I always liked about jocks. But as someone who knew jocks too, you know, it's like I said, I, I'm not trying to make myself out to be the person who was friends with everybody. I didn't have a million friends growing up, but my friends were distributed. You know, I had my core group of friends. We were into music. You know, my friends skateboarded. We were into similar things, but I did have friends. You know, I had played football for many years, so I had friends who were football players. I had friends who were video game players. But looking back at the jocks, which I wouldn't even label them that, they played sports. They were into masculine, masculine things. They never would have identified themselves as anything, though. You didn't even really see them go like, I'm a football player. I'm an athlete. Well, I'm an athlete. They just did it. They just went to football practice. They just played sports. It wasn't about the identity. It was about what they were doing. It's one reason why I always push back on the way jocks have been demonized. Not that jocks can't be terrible. Of course they can. I'm sure at a certain in a certain time and place, jocks were unbearable. In certain schools, I'm sure they were unbearable. I don't know. That wasn't the case in my school. That wasn't true for a lot of people I know from my generation who went to schools in different parts of the country. But I think some of this comes from me just like wanting to defend jocks. Because there was this, this portrayal of them as, oh, they're attractive, they're athletic, they get girls, and they torture nerds. They make nerds' lives a living hell. But that trope was built into people's heads through movies and stuff. But when I look back at those guys, like, yeah, they could be annoying. They could be stupid. But they didn't really think about what they were doing. Like, they didn't think about, like, how the things they did made them into a certain thing. Like, they didn't play football so that they could call themselves a football player. They just played football because they wanted to. They love football. I mean, if you're going to go to practice every day, and practice sucks. Practice truly sucks. You have to go every single day. I look back at that, and I can't believe it. When I played football, I'm like, I had to go to practice every single day, every single weekday, for two hours after school. And not just that, but, you know, it's like you have to 
you have to get dressed. You know, it takes a while to get all your football gear on. Your mom has to drive you to practice. She has to drive you home. You have to take off your gear. You have to shower. I mean, you've committed to three hours every single day of the week. Just so that on Saturday you could play in a game for an hour. But you did it because you wanted to do it. You know, there were kids who quit. But it was very much about the thing that you were doing, and it didn't matter what you called yourself. And that's something I look for in people. You know, people I like tend to be people who are reluctant to label themselves. You think about, like, just if we're talking about gender and sexuality, you could outlaw the term man. Man. I don't have to call myself a straight man to know what I like. If you told me that I could no longer call myself a straight male, it would not change the fact that I'm a straight male. I would still look at women the same way. I would still feel the same way. It would make no difference at all to me. But, uh, and, uh, I don't know, that's just kind of how I think, where it makes no difference to me, because it's very much about what do I do? How do I feel about it, and what do I do? That's all I need. The, you know, it, it truly applies down the board. Oh, I'm interested in this thing. I do this thing. If it's convenient to call myself something, maybe I'll do it. But anytime you put like an ER at the end of something, I'm a hiker, I'm a gamer. I don't know, something rubs me the wrong way about that. And, and I wouldn't even be thinking about it if we weren't living in a time of just mass self-identification. Mass self-identification with really no standards to go behind it. And people looking for excuses and opportunities to use those words because they think it has some meaning to them. This childhood friend of mine saying, I'm a hiker. Anybody who calls themselves a hiker can call themselves that whether they hike or not. Because nobody, nobody can tell you, you know, what sort of label you can claim for yourself. How convoluted. If I'm not going to the woods, if I'm not going to the trails, the most I'll think is, oh, maybe I should do that soon. I've had that thought. In the last year or so, not going to the trails as much, I've thought to myself, oh, yeah, maybe I should do that again. Oh, yeah, I haven't gone there in a while. Maybe I should do that one of these days. At no point do I sit there and think, does this make me a hiker? Am I no longer a hiker? Literally all I think is, oh, should I, I should go do that again. But if I don't, it's not a big deal either. I don't need that sort of classification for myself. I mean, I know I'm just making a redundant point here. 
but these you know these this self-categorization this mass self-identification it comes at a time where people aren't even doing that much people really aren't doing that much but there's this need to assign words to yourself that indicate that you are doing something even if you're not doing that And what do you get out of that? You know, I, I just I don't I don't really know what you get out of calling yourself that. But um, I don't know. On an unrelated note, I don't want to be here much longer. But uh, I don't want to be here much longer. On an unrelated note, you know, something too. I saw a a, a study. Everyone knows how much I love studies. But a study came out showing that people are more sex-deprived than ever, young men in particular, but women too. Women are having less sex than ever, young women. I don't know if old women are, but young women are having less sex than ever. The gap, though, between young men and young women, with men it's skyrocketed, with women it's gone up. But I was looking at this chart, this line graph, and... uh, Typically, men are having a little less sex than women on average. You know, a smaller group of men are having a lot of sex. And then, you know, a certain number of men are having none is usually how that works out. Which also explains why women tend to be having more sex than men. It's easier for them to, for one, that's just a fact. It's not about, oh, women have it so much easier. I mean, there's all sorts of bad things that go along with that, too. I don't envy women in that regard or look down on them for that. You know, the sort of incel mindset is that, like, that's a horrible thing. Oh, my God. It's so unfair. It's just a fact, though. You don't have to react to it. You don't have to be emotional about it. It's just a fact. And that's functional, too. You know, like I've said before, some of the things that bitter men see as unfair about the dynamics between men and women serve a natural function. They actually serve to protect women in certain ways. But, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's funny to me though, that all of this comes along with the sex positivity movement, which you don't hear about as much, but we're, you know, it, it comes on the heels of that, where sex is in our faces more than ever. Accepting human sexuality just been pushed on us. You know, we moved from the, oh, there's so much sex in advertising. When I was growing up, you know, one of the big feminist talking points was, oh, my God, there's so much sex in advertising. They're using uh, scantily clad women to sell everything. They're using scantily clad women to sell everything. And that kind of mutated into this sex positivity thing, which was just, which was just a rebranding of the sexual liberation of the 60s and 70s. But unlike the 60s and 70s, this massive push for sexual acceptance, kink acceptance, and widespread consumption of pornography coincides with less sex than ever. Like there's a significant percentage of men 
adult men under the age of 30 who are virgins. You know, I lost my virginity fairly late. You know, I didn't lose it in high school or anything. Not to overshare. I lost it after high school. But I was still fairly young. I was still young. You know, I was in college. But I, what they're finding, though, is men and, and an increasing number of women aren't even losing it in college. They're going well into adulthood. People are just alienated from that. And there's always a balance, I think, to sex, you know, where there's always a, there's got to be a balance to sex. Can I talk to you about the balance of sex? I think there has to be a balance to it. We're like, you don't want to live in this age of Victorian repression where sex is thought of as unnatural and evil. But when there's too much acceptance of it, it loses its meaning too. You know, there should still be some mystery to it. There should still be some secrecy to it. And I think that, you know, is, is one of the reasons why people are having less of it. Is we're heavily exposed to it. Because when you're a little kid, you know, in the era I grew up in, you didn't even know what it was. It seemed otherworldly. You didn't know what it would feel like. You had no idea what it was at all. I mean, I was talking to a childhood friend about it as adults. And he was like, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, and I thought about what sex was, I thought it would be, he thought it would be like a drug. And it, it, of course, it is like a drug in some ways. But he thought it would have the same effect that a drug was. Like, he thought that when you did what you do, that something would wash over your entire body, almost like getting high or, or like spiritually transcendent. And yeah, people say they experience that. It happens sometimes. But he thought it would be this immediate um he thought, he thought it would be this, this immediate uh, effect, something spiritual or drug-like. I think a lot of people thought that way. But part of it also was that you weren't exposed to that much of it. People weren't talking about it that much. And when I look back on that period, that seemed like the right balance. The there was a, an element of mystery to it that made it still alluring. Because I can tell you that, like, when women talk about sex too much, or men, but I'm not, you know, into men, but when uh, when women talk about sex too much, it doesn't make me sexually attracted to them. It actually does the opposite. Not that I think they should hide their sexuality or be non-sexual or virginal. It just doesn't appeal to me. It's almost clinical. And I think a lot of men feel that way. It's not like dirty talk, and I, I don't, I don't like, I don't care about dirty talk either. But at least dirty talk makes sense. At least dirty talk makes sense. Whereas the, the sort of sex positivity talking points, and someone would say those aren't intended to be, you know, sexually attractive unto themselves, but just that that dialogue is going on at all is unattractive. 
So I think all of these things are playing a role. There are so many different factors at play. But I saw this study a couple days ago and I was like, huh, yeah, I mean, it's what we already know. And we see it socially as well. I'm, I, there was something too, there was a similar study a few years ago. I remember Bill Maher, of all people, talking about it. But about how there, there's a significant number of millennials who say they don't even have a friend. It's not just that people are disengaged from romance and sexuality in a way they never have been before. They're detached from friendship. And I don't think you have to have friends nearby that you hang out with all the time. But if you have a friend, you know that they're your friend. Or you should. And so this, I don't remember what the percentage was, but this study showed that a significant percentage of millennials, I don't know about Zomers, this is a few years ago, but a significant number of millennials said they, they didn't even feel like they had one friend. It made me incredibly sad. It really did. It didn't, none of this fills me with contempt. Nothing I've, even talking about this old friend of mine who's now a queer woman and a nerd. This person was not a queer woman and a nerd when I knew them. They weren't a hiker either. No, I, none of this is filled with contempt. It just, it all makes me sad. I don't want this to be a sad show, but it truly makes me sad. Things have just gotten so convoluted. That's the word I keep coming back to. Because I don't even feel like people know what friendship is for that matter. Like the way I define friendship, whether it's somebody you see as part of your daily life or somebody you, you've never even met in person, it's if you hear from them and you don't have to think about the fact that you're hearing from them. Like if somebody calls you on the phone, you don't think, oh, wow, that person's calling me. They're calling me. It's not a surprise when you hear from them. It's just like, oh, yeah, I'm hearing from my friend. You don't even think about it. You're just interested in what they have to say. And I was thinking that because, you know, I've made a new friend in the last few months. I made a new friend. And at first, you know, this, this is just somebody that I talked to. You know, this is just somebody that I liked. You know, he was a good guy. But he can call me now or send me a message, and I don't even think twice about it. This is somebody I didn't know, you know, before this year, really. But I don't think to myself, oh, my friend's calling me. Oh, this guy, is this guy my friend? Oh, my God, he, this guy's giving me a phone call? I just go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, an, I'm either around to answer it or I'm not. And that's kind of how you know when someone's become a friend to you, when they're comfortable contacting you without reservation, just because they have something they want to talk about or say. And you, in turn, don't think that's weird that they're contacting you. You know, I remember I went to a party, kind of a party. It was like an after party where people hanging out at a bar. And there was this dude there who was just, I, something was off about him. He was easy to get along with, but he just, every few minutes, like hanging out, like we were drinking and stuff, but it was like, he kept dissociating. It seemed kind of performative. Like he kept like, You'd be talking to him and he would just zone out. I don't know if he was on something. I didn't know this guy. He was a friend of a friend or something. 
But we were leaving the party like the next morning. It was like 5 a.m. And we were drunk. And we are just like, oh, yeah, you're cool. We exchanged numbers or something. And then like I remember the next night that guy called me or later that day. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing calling me? Because that would happen. Like, if you're you're partying with people, you're, you're drunkenly like, dude, you're so cool. We should hang out. And you exchange numbers or something. But when that person calls you soon, like, it'd be one thing if this guy called me a week later and was like, oh, hey, there's a party over here if you want to come. That'd be one thing. But the fact that this guy called me right away, I was like, this guy's out of his fucking mind. I didn't answer. But when someone's your friend, you don't even think twice about that. Oh, oh, my friend's calling me. Okay. I'm either around to answer it or I'm not. But I think people don't know what a friend even is. Like hearing about, the reason I'm talking about this is because this significant number of young people who don't even have a single friend. I don't believe that's their own failure. Just like with these people who have never had sex and they're getting to be 30. Up to a certain point, for a certain type of person that's their own personal failure, maybe, if you want to frame it that way. Is a monk a failure? Is a monk who's never had sex a failure? I don't know. But, you know, for some people, there is people who, with some of these incels, it is a personal failure for sure. They just don't know what to do, or they're just, something's gone haywire with them, or they're, they feel entitled. That's a certain percentage of them, but... Since we're seeing, you know, less sex, not that not, I don't even care about sex. I don't even think sex is as, as important as it's been made out to be. I mean, it's very important. <laughs> you know, obviously, obviously, sex is very important, but it's not it's not important in the way that it's made out to be. But uh, with uh, this increase in both young men and young women who aren't having any. I don't think that's a personal failure. I don't think the rise in that can be blamed on these individuals. Clearly something larger, some sort of larger pattern is playing out. There's many different factors, but there's a larger pattern. But with friendship, you know, I think people don't know what that means. To me, it always means a certain level of comfort. And you don't think about it when someone becomes your friend. Like, there's that cute little thing kids do where they're like, will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? And it's cute when little kids do it. But when an adult does that to you, it's fucking weird. And what's interesting is my childhood friend, the queer woman nerd, the person who's transformed into a queer woman nerd, queer nerd woman, used friend in that thing and that something really rubs me the wrong way about that where it says i call myself many things i'm a queer woman a nerd a mom a friend who calls themselves a friend the day that i'm making a, a speech about myself and say i'm a friend i'm a friend that's something you don't call yourself only my friends can tell me I'm, I'm their friend. Only somebody else can call me a friend. I, am I a friend? Well, I'd hope so. I would never use that as an identifier. Oh, one of the things I am is I'm a friend. I'm a nerd. I'm a friend. I'm a builder. I'm a jogger. 
I'm a friend. Did I, did I say that? I'm a friend. I don't trust them. It's always put me off, too, when someone states too explicitly, when someone makes it too clear, like they're trying to figure out if you're their friend or not. You know if someone's your friend. It can get weird with men and women, of course. I think there's a time and a place for men and women maybe to clarify that, if it's not obvious. I think it can be important for platonic friendships between men and women, for that to be clarified in some way. If it's not obvious, I think sometimes it needs to be clarified. But I can tell you, like, the second another dude talks that way to me, that's a fucking nightmare. You know, I think back about years ago, a dude that I really liked hanging out with, and I considered him a friend. And he was a, he was a straight guy. Like, there was no subtext to this. I keep using the word subtext tonight. It's the third time I've used it. See, you get a word in your brain, and you just keep fucking using it. But uh, this guy, he was, he was a straight male. Kind of a nerdy guy. But we became drinking buddies... And one time we were drinking, I think I think we got a bottle of whiskey. We split a bottle of whiskey or something. And we were still relatively new friends. Like, we, we were at that point where we could just call each other and be like, oh, you want to get a drink? It wasn't like that acquaintance that you see out and you're like, oh, we should hang out sometime, but you never do. This was a guy, we'd, we'd started, like, making plans to go get drinks and stuff. You know, hey, what are you doing, to, what are you doing Friday? But we were drinking this bottle of whiskey, and, and, he, and he was like, well, this is kind of a bromance. Fuck you. How dare you? This is kind of a... This is kind of a bromance. I didn't stop being friends with him. I, I remained friends with him. I, I kind of wrote it off as a drunken moment. There was nothing weird. He wasn't trying to, like, hint at anything or do anything weird. I just don't think this guy had many close male friends. I mean, I know he didn't. I think he was trying to, like, classify, I think he was trying to, like, confirm our friendship or something. Never use the fucking word bromance. I mean, it's bad enough as, it, when that was a, a buzzword or a catchphrase, it was bad enough just to hear people use it. But that's the only time in my life that anybody's ever said that to me. And you don't need to say shit like that. You're cool, man. Oh, you think I'm cool? Don't ever say that. You know, I, I don't know. It just... To me, it's that's almost like saying... You know, do you want to be my friend? But as an adult... The interesting thing about when someone becomes your friend is it doesn't have any, like, there's not a moment. There's not one particular moment where you're like, oh, this person's officially my friend. Dude, you're officially my friend now. There's never a moment. Like, talking about the, this new friend I made, I mean, it's been a while since I made a new friend. Did you guys know I made a new friend? No, but it, it's been it's been a while. I mean, you think about the last few years. I don't go out and socialize much anymore. People were locked down for an entire year. But I, I realized at one point, I was like, oh shit, like, 
You know, like I didn't realize it. It's just I'm only thinking about it now where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, somebody I didn't know two years ago is comfortable just getting a hold of me just to shoot the shit and vice versa. It's not premeditated. Like I can tell you, like people who I, I consider a friend, I don't think twice about contacting them. And I don't think twice when they contact me. And another sign of friendship is that it doesn't necessarily matter. If it's not urgent, it doesn't matter if you get back to them right away. Like I have a buddy who was a couple months ago, he, he would message me or something. I mean, dear diary, but a friend who would message me or call me and I just wasn't available. I was very busy. Sometimes I couldn't even get back to his messages. But it didn't, it, it wasn't that there was any problem and he didn't take it personally. And, you know, then like I, I got less busy. We talk all the time. And so like once you're at that level, it's like you don't read into anything. You don't analyze it. If you need to analyze your relationship with somebody, it's probably not whatever you're wondering it's probably not a good friendship or it's probably not a solid friendship or you're just neurotic as hell. I mean, I'm neurotic as hell, but fortunately it doesn't play out with this stuff. But I mean, I think you can, you know, going off on friendship here, I'm talking to you all about friendship. You know what friendship is? Thinking about friendship though, that's a label. You could outlaw the word friend. You can no longer call people in your life your friend, but you would know they're your friend based on how you interact with them and what you do together. It makes no difference what you call it. it makes no difference whatsoever what you call that. You can call that person your enemy, but the way you interact is going to show that that's not true doesn't matter what you call it. And so maybe that's the point of this whole thing. Is it doesn't matter what you call something. And I think we should reluctantly call ourselves anything at all. I mean, like, I hesitate to call myself even a man sometimes. Because why bother? I know what I am. It does nothing for how I feel about myself or how I envision myself in this world whether I call myself a man or a boy or anything. You could take language out of my mouth. You could take words out of my head. It's not going to change how I feel about what I am. It's what I was saying about, you know, what you're attracted to. I could go the rest of my life without saying I'm straight. It doesn't change that I'm attracted to women. It doesn't change any of that. But people put the, the word before anything else. I'm a friend. I'm a straight man, a friend, a hiker, a reader. Do you know I'm a reader? I'm a reader. So I don't know. I mean, that shows to me that the wiring is all twisted up.
And then going back to <laughs> going back to the decrease in sexual activity among young people, that coincides with people identifying themselves sexually more than ever. People think more about their sexual orientation, their sexual preferences, their fetishes, their gender, what to call themselves, how to classify themselves. They think about that more than ever. There's in huge groups of young people who are totally preoccupied with that. But yet they're not even doing the thing that makes that what it is. They can identify as queer. But if you're not even doing the thing that makes you queer, what the fuck are you? I guess whatever you feel like, that's fine. But it truly is putting the cart before the horse. I'm a this. I think life is all about escaping that shit. Life is all about escaping these classifications and these terms. And as I, as I was saying, there's something you should do very reluctantly. In the same way, you know, I, I'm reluctant to call myself an artist. I'm reluctant to call myself an artist. That is something you should be reluctant about. For me, it was just a matter of pure convenience. If it's natural, if it comes up naturally, okay, I'm an artist, okay. But it's not something you want to lead with. I'd rather just say I draw or I, I create this, I do this. It's all about what you do. But people don't do a whole lot. They don't do the things that make you what you are, but they still want to be that thing. And the only way to trick yourself into being that thing when you're not doing the things that make that thing what it is, is just to identify that way, to call yourself something. I do what I do. I recommend other people do what they do. Because to me, like, it's like calling yourself a nice person. You know, that, that article being like, I'm a friend. Friendship is a process. It's not a fucking title. If I'm doing the things that make me a friend to somebody, good enough. Good enough. If I'm doing kind things, great, I'm doing kind things. Does that make me a kind person? Well, if somebody sees that me that way, I'm honored. But I would never lead with that. Hey, did you know I'm a kind person? We see a lot of that, though. I'm a good person. Because a lot of what people are trying to, to communicate through these things is I'm a good person. I'm an interesting person. Did you know I'm a good and interesting person? How much of what we communicate is just trying to say that in a roundabout way? doesn't matter what words you use. A lot of what people try to communicate about themselves is exactly that. Did you know that I'm a good, interesting person? When someone says, I'm a reader, how much of that is just trying to say, did you know I'm smart? You know I'm smart, right? You know I'm more, I have higher than average intelligence? Do you know I know, I know a lot? Because I read, because I'm a reader. I'm a good, interesting person. Somebody else thinks that about me, great. 
Where does classification and categorization, where does identity come in? I could be a good person today and a bad person tomorrow, and some days I am. I felt like shit lately. I've physically. We've had wildfire smoke. It was really bad today. It's been bad for many days lately. It's been a warm October with a lot of wildfire smoke. I haven't been sleeping well. I feel like my communication with some people has been really bad. I've had some just bad interactions with people and I blame myself. I do, because I think when you feel like shit, you're more likely to be shitty. I don't feel like I've been communicating. I don't feel like I've been expressing myself very well. Does that mean I'm a bad person? I don't think so. I think I just, I feel shitty lately. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, but when I'm feeling good and I'm nice, I don't think that makes me a good person. I don't think that makes me a nice person. It's what I do. And this plays into, you know, your opinions and your, your ideology and all that, where people identify with these ideologies and these worldviews. They really tell you nothing about that person. I mean, I know people who will rally against guns because there's occasionally a mass shooting. And every single weekend they hop into their car drunk and could easily just ricochet back and forth down the street and kill a bunch of people. They never even think about that. It doesn't even cross their minds. I'm not bringing this up to judge them or call them hypocrites. Obviously, they have problems. It's something that used to bother me about a group of friends I had a few years ago. They were a lot of fun to drink with, but they were very preachy, very moralistic. And they would drive home from the bar every single weekend drunk. And it's like, you're so self-righteous about what you believe in, but you drive drunk every single weekend. Yeah, if you drink a lot, you're going to do it once in a while and you shouldn't. But you do it every weekend. Seriously, every single weekend. And then you get on your high horse on Facebook. You're sitting around with your friends drinking and you bring up some political, social issue and you're on your high horse. And in an hour, you're going to drive home drunk off your ass. And you planned it that way because you do this every weekend. Because I mean, when I drank, I remember I walked as much as possible. I almost always walked to the bar. There were a few times, though, where I wasn't planning on drinking very much. So I took my car, ended up drinking too much, and drove it home. It was because I didn't plan very well. I underestimated my own, you know, tendency to drink too much. I was like, oh, I'll just have three beers. You know, and I wasn't somebody who would get blackout drunk and drive or anything like that. But there were a few times, you know, it was the exception. But it was still too much. The exception was still too much. But usually I didn't, I didn't even allow that to happen because I was like, I'm either going to get a ride or I'm going to walk to the bar and walk home or get a ride home or take a cab. But there's a lot of people who they know they're going to be driving at the end of the night. They know when the bar closes, they're going to drive home drunk. And they'll criticize other people for just having opinions. 
for just thinking things that they don't agree with and treat those people like they're substantially worse. Whereas I simply see what you do. If I didn't know your language, if I didn't know what you think, and I could only see you by your action, which is exactly what I try to do, not always perfect. I judge people for all sorts of stupid shit. I've probably been judging people throughout this episode. I know I have been. But I do try to look at what is my interaction with someone? What do they do? How do they treat people? What they do is what defines them to me. What I see them do. That's what defines them to me. That's all the classification I need is their actions. The decisions they make. And if a friend of mine identified themselves as a friend, like that's special. I wouldn't trust that. Because I don't think a friend of mine would talk that way. And it's for other people. It's for an audience. It's not about the process. I like to walk because it's a process. I love the process of walking. I live for it. If that involves going to the woods, that's a process. Call me a woods walker, call me a hiker, call me anything. Doesn't change the fact that I walk. Doesn't change the fact that I walk in certain places. Not something I, I even need to think about. So you can see what this way of thinking does to people. This kid who I grew up with, he, uh, he was a very pure kid. Even though he was prone to trends, he was, whatever was popular, he tended to gravitate toward. Whatever he thought would make him more well-liked among his peers. That said, he wasn't spineless. You could just tell he was looking for approval from people, from the people he was around. He wouldn't have gotten that sublime sun tattoo on a whim if everyone around him wasn't listening to sublime all the time. Maybe he deeply, truly loved sublime, but a week earlier, he was willing to get what would have probably been a shitty prison tattoo of a grim reaper pointing from me. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if that had happened. He probably wouldn't be a woman, though. If he had actually been patient enough, I mean, thank goodness that didn't happen. I don't know. I think the sublime sun is worse. But I think I can rest a little easier knowing that I didn't draw a shitty grim reaper pointing that went on someone's body. Although, saying it out loud, I kind of wish I did. But he was willing to get that tattoo from me. But he wanted a tattoo so bad. He wanted to be able to he wanted to be the kid who comes to school with a tattoo so bad that he couldn't wait for me to draw that pointing Grim Reaper. And he just picked a random album cover of the band that all of his friends and all of his peers in high school were listening to. 
probably for them, you know, I'm, I'm getting judgmental here or making assumptions, probably did it for them, probably did it for their approval. Oh, dude, you got the sublime son? That's fucking cool, man. Is that something you want to see on your body all the time? I had a friend who got a pentagram tattooed on his deltoid. Just the classic pentagram. I mean, it looks cool. And he, he, he's somebody you'd never... He not, he's not into heavy metal. Not into anything like that. And just on a whim, he got a, a pentagram tattooed on his arm that's still on him today, unless he got it covered up. Last I checked, he still had it. I checked. I lifted up his sleeve. No... You know, last time I saw him and stuff, he still had it. He regrets it. He said as much. He, he regrets getting it because he didn't really want it. I think he wanted people to perceive that a certain way. I think he wanted people to see his arm and be like, whoa, he's got a pentagram. Fortunately, he chose the classic design, just the classic pentagram. Like I said, I think it looks really cool. But I can totally understand why you wouldn't want that on your body forever. And uh, I don't know. I'd rather have a pentagram on my arm. I'd rather have a Grim Reaper pointing above all else. But I'd rather have a pentagram on my arm than a, uh, a Sublime Sun. Maybe both. See, that would be a cool tattoo. Turning a, a Sublime Sun into a pentagram. A combo. That'll really impress your friends. But this guy, he's obviously been led down a path where people are doing things for other people. We all do this. I do it. I've made plenty of decisions in my life for other people. That's why I'm familiar with what I'm talking about. I've done things specifically because of how I thought other people would perceive that. It's a lot of what we do. But I, I've done it trying to come across like, oh, no, I'm doing this for me because this is my identity. When in truth, I, I was doing it for my peers. We've all done this. There's nothing wrong with it. We do a lot of good things because of that as well. But I think about this guy. Like I said, he was a very pure kid. You know, Yeah, he wanted the approval of his peers. He was an only child. Not to get Psych 101, but you know he was an only child with parents who were preoccupied with him. An hour of video games a day or it'll rot your brain. Health food. Oh, your friends are coming over? We're going to make them do chores and have them eat health food. But I think about who he was as a kid, and he was very, uh, very pure in, in so many ways. And I, I look at him not having had any contact with him. I'm sure if he, were, if he were to hear this, he would probably think I'm being hateful and mean. And maybe I am a little bit. I don't know. I'm, not tr I'm trying not to be. I'm just trying to give my honest response to somebody that I knew for many years. And I feel like I had a good read on him. And uh, I didn't feel like anything was missing from him. I didn't feel like he was want like he he was looking for approval from his peers, but I didn't feel like he was wanting anything 
significant. I didn't feel like he was wanting any new identity. And just, you know, randomly, I was just like, what's he up to? Since I'm still kind of reconciling this massive change that's taken place with him, every six months or so since then, I'm like, let me see if there's anything else. And I came across this article. I didn't read it with contempt. But the whole point of it is identity. The whole point of it is self-categorization. It's about a dilemma over whether or not you can call yourself a hiker if you're not actually going on hikes in nature. Who cares? But that's the mindset that he's in. Is that what you call yourself is what matters. I'm sure he's a good person. I never knew this guy to do anything bad. He wasn't a troublemaker. He wasn't mean. He wasn't mean. But who cares if you're a hiker? Who cares what you call yourself? Who truly cares? But so much of this is about identity. So much of it is, is about how you classify yourself. I keep repeating myself as usual, but... Bums me out. Bums me out. Because I thought the whole idea of postmodernism is to remove so many of the labels. To give yourself freedom and, and to not be defined by these things. Because labels define you. And it seemed like progressivism for so long was about that. It felt like progressivism was, you're a woman, but that doesn't define what you can do or should do or who you are. If you were a girl it doesn't, and, and you want to be into swords and guns, well, you're still a woman. You're still a girl. If you're a little girl, you're still a little girl even if you want to play with G.I. Joes. The whole point is that you shouldn't be limited based on the fact that you're a girl or a woman. That's not what makes you what you are. If you're a nerd, that doesn't make you what you are. That doesn't define you. You know, I, we were moving in that direction for so long. We were moving in the direction of, yeah, we classify ourselves with these words, but they don't define what we do. They're there for convenience. Being a boy or a girl was a matter of convenience. It was supposed to make things a little easier. But it's, it's now made things infinitely more complicated. It's based around the classification rather than the action. It's all become utterly meaninglessness. Utterly, utterly meaningless. Not even talking right now. Don't think about whether or not you're a friend. Do the things a friend would do. Don't think of yourself as a hiker. Do what you want to do physically. And if that involves hiking, will you go on hikes? I'm not a hiker. I go on hikes. 
If I'm not going on hikes, easy come, easy go. I don't know. It doesn't seem that complicated to me. It all seems so simple. Define yourself based on your actions. And if you do that, well, you don't even have to define yourself because people can see. You know what you do. Other people can see what you do. Other people know what they do, and you can see what they do. And why do you need anything else? Why do you need an identity unless it's just a matter of convenience? It's there to simplify. And if you do have to apply an identity to yourself, do so reluctantly. It should be natural. It should be convenient. That should be the only basis for your identity. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free